0: Ian was really struggling to get into work and get some stability in his life so we gave him a job in the shop I spoke to a local hostel manager and we rented a room and we basically helped Ian get back into kind of normal life and he worked at the shop for a few weeks uh, part-time and then he moved house into an actual flat he got a job as a brister at a friend of mine's shop nearby and helping Ian move house was like the best day of my life and I realised that that's what I wanted to be doing as much as possible In Camden Town. I'll meet you at the underground In Camden Town We'll walk there as the sun goes down In
1: Camden Town Welcome to Camden as the official podcast for the Camden Clean Air Initiative with me, Geoffrey Young. In this podcast series, we get to know and discover the lives of Camdeners, those special individuals shaping the unique and vibrant culture of the borough of Camden today we're joined by Camdener Harry George founder of hidden coffee welcome hi Camden is a sort of a podcast designed to get to know the people of Camden especially uh those people that are contributing to the to the vibrancy and sort of sort of to the goodness of Camden so you know we're here to discover um what you do and uh yeah tell us about hidden coffee and your other endeavors
0: Yeah, well, um, I'm very flattered to be described in that way. (laughs) I think uh, I am a Camden town local, so I uh, grew up in Camden, I've got roots in Camden, and uh, I recently found out that um, uh, on my mum's side of the family, uh, it goes back as far as the 1700s that someone lived in Camden from my family, which is quite a a scary realisation, you know, the gene pool really hasn't got far. (laughs) Um, Wow, a genuine, true -er (laughs) Camdener, through and through. And I understand
1: uh you mentioned just in early in walking in today, your grandfather worked in this very building.
0: Yeah, he did, <laughs> yeah, here on Arlington Road. Um wow. and it's uh and my uh, my Nan uh lived in Fairfield, which is just next door. Um so it's uh yeah, definitely got roots in the area. And I think um that's kind of uh the story behind why we set up Hidden Coffee. I think uh I had set up quite a lot of coffee shops and similar businesses. And uh, I had a bit of bad luck and kind of needed to go back to my roots a little bit and Hidden hidden Coffee uh, kind of felt like the right move to kind of resurrect uh, my kind of social (laughs) endeavours and being in Camden felt like a comfort zone. Great. Well, tell us about Hidden Coffee. So we uh, work with young people with special educational needs and disabilities. Uh, And, you know, the, uh, the acronym for that is SEND Coffee. Um, We train them to be baristas and we work for them for 48 weeks, uh, up to 48 weeks, it can be 36 weeks for certain cases, Um, and that's quite a lot of trying to work with someone to train them for a job. So, over the period of that, you know, learning the coffee skills is actually quite quick Um, and it works as a vehicle to teach them other life skills. So we teach them how to cook for themselves, how to travel independently, um, how to, you know, have a social life, how to have hobbies. Uh, how to dress appropriately at work and, <laughs> and lots of little things that kind of go into, uh, you know, making that awkward transition from being a teenager to being an adult. So uh, I think it's uh, quite an interesting thing to be doing.
1: And it's a coffee shop right in the heart of Camden or just on the very edge of Camden town. Maybe just unpack a little bit those ideas of the kind of like the, what's the process that um, these young people come, th- you know, you know, do they they sort of, knock on your door and they're looking for a job or what? How, to
0: explain how it, how it all unfolds. So we trialled it initially with just a young local person, a young person with a disability. Um, and after a kind of three-month trial, uh, we started reaching out to local colleges where we offer it as a course. Uh, and those colleges take it on as a course and they'll do one day a week at college and they'll spend four days a week uh, at the shop with us learning how to be baristas. Um And I think we had to be very honest, we found it very hard to recruit in Camden. I think uh, local colleges uh, and you know, local council parties uh, weren't as accessible to us as other places. So we ended up uh, putting most of our learners from Newham College, uh, who were very keen to do something innovative.
1: Wow. Maybe if you could talk about some of the special needs these people have, what, what, are, the, what are the challenges these people, you know, often face with?
0: Yeah, this uh, it's a very, very wide range. I think uh, we have people with, you know, mild or invisible disabilities uh, that still face the same challenges as people uh, with physical disabilities or very obvious disabilities. Um, I think, you know, at one end of the spectrum, we might have someone with cerebral palsy. At the other end, we might have someone uh, with mild autism or ADHD. And both of them kind of get pushed into the same school stream. So they both will be, you know, special educational needs to find. And I think that's where our challenge really comes in because we can't just get them all into one classroom and teach them coffee and push them out the door, which does seem to be the method that a lot of colleges are trying to do with them. And what we do instead is quite holistic. So we have one-to-one mentoring and one-to-one training. Uh, So over that entire 36 to 48 week period, they're working with one individual who every day comes in and is helping them with any of the challenges that come up. For example, you know we have someone uh, with physical disability that will be helped to travel, and you know we will sometimes help them with an Uber, (laughs) or sometimes we'll help them learn how to get onto the bus, uh, or you know a lot of things like that. But that wouldn't be relevant to someone with ADHD. So instead of that person, we'll focus on uh, mindfulness, and we'll focus on things that will help them stay engaged at work and social skills.
1: And you have talks, or um, they can go into a room, and you can give that mentoring or does it happen in the in the openness of the coffee shop?
0: Yeah. Uh, so actually all the mentoring has to take place at work. Um, occasionally we go on like field trips as all we call right. them uh, where we'll kind of visit other coffee shops or roasteries uh, occasionally just aspire on the competition and learn uh, you know some of the mistakes or some of the things that we can copy and uh, incorporate into our own shops uh but i think uh when they're based at the college they're just in a normal classroom uh, and there's two very dedicated Tanta teachers that work with them there teaching them uh kind of they kind of try and patch up loose ends that you know the education system has kind of missed for them so for example we've got one who's doing his GCSEs uh we've got another who's uh doing her sats uh sat oh sorry it's uh, called something else now but it's uh, the one that they do in year 9 um uh, and they're all doing different things and that's only one day a week. So that's quite precious for them to get their academics in order. Um, but the key thing is that if we weren't doing this course and working with them, they would just be going out into the wide world without any of that. You know, those final years at college are really critical for them making a transition to being adults or they become a risk of uh, a term that is almost synonymous of a slur, which is uh, they become neat, NEET, N-E-E-T. Uh, and that means not in education, employment or training and that's seen as a you know a a kind of societal failure because we've got a lot of capitalist values going around Um, but the real risk is actually that they might have support systems like parents uh, or the school system that will slowly fizzle away and by the time they hit 30s and their 40s these people miss out on having the normal balance of life that they should have and the independence that they should have so using our training as a mechanism to really get them to make that transition to being adults.
1: Wow, that's life changing for these people. Yeah, it's Uh, great to see (laughs) this stuff happening in the borough of Camden and obviously um, other parts of, um, you have other coffee shops I hear.
0: Yeah, so I think um, Hidden was the first uh, for this and we were actually gonna call the entire organization Hidden at the start because, uh, you know, being synonymous with hidden disabilities. Um, we realized that didn't quite work because a lot of disabilities weren't hidden, you know. it's uh, It would have made, you know, we worked with one beneficiary who was in a wheelchair and that felt like mm. inappropriate because it's not a hidden disability, it's very overt. Um, but uh, when we used hidden, it was because it, it needed to be in Camden for me because uh, my last kind of venture into setting up a social enterprise uh, went catastrophically badly. I lost all my money, lost the business I'd been building up for five to seven years and uh, kind of had to start over. And I think Hidden was a comfort zone for me because you know I knew the area so well and I knew my friends and family would be able to come in and visit. Um, but we started it in February 2020 is when we officially launched Send. Uh, so you can imagine that six weeks later <laughs> there was a global pandemic and we had to pivot slightly. So my original business model was focused around B2B sales. So we roast coffee, we sell coffee to other coffee shops, and then, in theory, we would offer those coffee shops a discount if they took on one of our bene- one of our trainees at the end of the course. So, you know, that would make it a commercial decision to help these people. Um, unfortunately, the contracts I lined up, which were big corporate caterers, those vanished when the pandemic hit. So, I had to find an innovative solution to make sure we could maintain the course. So, I opened quite a few other coffee shops. So, we opened wow. uh, seven more shops over the course of the year. Uh, so, we're finishing. Uh, we're currently at eight shops. Uh, from that first one in Camden. Wow. And, and they in London? All over London? Yeah, those are all in London. I think uh, primarily a lot of them are based around East London, uh, mainly because we had that really good working relationship with Newham Council mm-hmm. and Newham College. Uh, Hackney Council and New City College have been really, really supportive and reciprocated a lot of the energy that we're trying to put into this. Mm. And I think um, that kind of... You know, that's been a really hard lesson for me is that Camden might be my home and it might be where I grew up and where I've got these roots. And I think I've been quite uh, taken aback with how challenging it is to do something like this in Camden. And I would like to personally kind of invest a bit of time into making it a more, uh, you know, a better incubator of ideas like this, because it's not just us doing this stuff. There's loads of people in Camden that want to set up organizations like this and do these projects that just keep getting shot down. And then they move to other boroughs.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to just share a little bit about your your ex um, business or your ex nonprofit that you that you tried to set up. What was that, and and what did you learn from it?
0: So I guess um, it's better to kind of start with the, the roots of the story. I uh, you know I started setting up coffee shops a long time ago. I my methodology became that I would set a coffee shop up and try and find a buyer for it. So. Uh, my very first shop, someone offered to buy for me and I realized that I was getting all of my profits all at once for the next few years. Uh, I used the money from that to set up a new shop, which someone then bought again. And I kind of got into this cycle of setting up coffee shops, selling them for profit and then moving on. And I did that for a few years and I had a kind of tick list in my head of, you know, what would make me happy, you know, buy a flat, buy a car, tick, tick. And as I kind of ticked these things off, I realized I was absolutely miserable. And I kind of had to really reflect on what made me happy and what, you know, I did want to be doing my time. And I realized uh, there was this one young man, who used to come into one of my coffee shops uh, called Ian. And he was a local homeless person. He was fresh out of prison. And I got talking to him and I'd always give him free coffee because we do that at all the shops of all the local homeless or... um, And Ian was really struggling to get into work and get some stability in his life. So we gave him a job in the shop uh, I spoke to a local hostel manager and we rented a room uh, for him from the shop's money. And we basically helped Ian get back into kind of normal life. And he worked at the shop for a few weeks uh, part time. He then moved on to kind of full time hours of us for another few weeks. And then he moved house into an actual flat. Uh, and he got a job as a barista at a friend of mine's shop nearby. And helping Ian move house was like the best day of my life. And I realized that that's what I wanted to be doing as much as possible. So I started looking into ways of building something like that. And I met someone who had a contract with the Ministry of Justice to deliver training to young offenders in a prison. And he, uh, that person had never set up a coffee business or had never worked in a coffee shop before. Um, he had a more sort of coffee design business. And I jumped at a chance and we, I went in with both feet and I converted all of my kind of wholesale customer, roasting customers that I had uh, into the kind of forming this business, which was uh, work based inside Ellsbury Prison, where we trained eighteen, uh, we trained young offenders, and we built an actual coffee shop inside the prison. We built a roastery, and I kind of I dived in with both feet, and I was so focused on, yeah, so focused on kind of making it deliver the goals and working with these young men uh, that I was very naive about kind of the business formation, very naive about. Uh, what the other parties and the partners wanted out of the out of the project, and I think um, the biggest mistake in that was that we formed it as a private limited company, not as a CIC, not as a nonprofit, not as a charity, any of those things. And I didn't really understand at the time the significance of that. But there were several forks in the road where we had to choose between delivering the impact we wanted and delivering return on investment to our investors and our backers. And I think that ultimately. It becomes the wrong thing to do to pursue the impact that you want when you reach those forks in the road because you owe your investors their money back and you owe all of the partners and the staff and it, as a business it didn't really sit right, um, which led to a few kind of like you know problems which uh, resulted in me kind of getting pushed out in a, uh, you know quite unceremonious way and I after that I kind of you know I'd lost all my money I lost all many years of my life and uh, quite a bit of hair from the stress of it all um but i uh kind of decided to do a bit of consulting with other charities that uh specifically charities at the time that were trying to you know build a similar kind of thing up and i wanted to use that as an opportunity to learn how it could be done better so i worked with a few homeless charities in particular kind of thinking about ian uh and you know his plight and working with those homeless charities i realized that they all talked to one another they were all formed correctly. I learned a lot about legal governance and compliance and Charities Commission and stuff like that. Um, and after doing that for a few years, and I did a bit of consultancy with some uh, uh, some potentially more evil companies, which I won't name, uh, which uh, generated enough cash to start Hidden and form send, Um, because it's all privately funded. It all came from my own personal money and savings. Um, so I think uh, what I kind of realized through working with these ex-offenders and or young offenders and working with these homeless people is there was a consistent theme for me is that some of them were blameless some of them really didn't deserve the fate that they had been dealt and i think i realized yeah you know, To for the record some of the young offenders i worked with 100 percent deserved to be there they had done terrible things and they were in prison rightly so and some of them that really stuck out to me were a sort of more romantic idea that people build up about someone in prison. People who, you know, I, I couldn't quite perform what it was about them that made them blameless. And then with the when I was working with the homeless people, I realised that there were some similar themes. There were people who you just couldn't help but feel maybe this wasn't right or fair. And I came to the kind of slow realisation that these people had disabilities. And that was the consistent theme is that all of the people I felt had been kind of victimised by the system had a disability and that's why they had ended up in these plights. And I realized that that's what I then wanted to form and work with young people with disabilities before some of these wider society problems could creep in and destroy their lives. Gee.
1: Wow. <laughs> yeah. Just um I'm totally in awe of what you what you're doing and and how it's it's come uh and, and what impact you can actually or you are achieving. So, you know, just so proud that this stuff is happening in in our borough. And um, wow. Um, Let's move back to the topic of coffee in itself. What, what was it about coffee that sort of, that you saw as the, either just a passion area or a vehicle for change?
0: So my very first job was, uh, that's not actually true, my very first job was in a car wash, but that that was only for a week and it's not as good a story. Um, My second job was in a coffee shop and working there, I fell in love with it. I think um, I I do have a kind of very mild disability myself with kind of motor uh, called dyspraxia, uh, which makes kind of certain fine motor coordination a little bit trickier. Um, And I found it very hard to learn coffee. It took me a very long time to kind of start producing latte art and stuff like that. So I kind of, I really fell in love with the idea of training people on coffee. And that was, uh, that became my kind of focus. And I got poached from the coffee shop I was working at by the roaster who supplied us uh, to become one of their trainers. And I worked as a trainer for them. And and this was all very early in my kind of career. I've always looked a little bit older. And at the time I was kind of 16, uh, 17, working as a trainer uh, for people learning coffee. And I think that it kind of helped being quite young because it really disarmed, you know, a lot of egos when they come in to have this young enthusiastic person teaching them. Um, So I did that for a while and I really loved it, but I still kind of had this weird, uh, weird idea that I was going to open a restaurant. So I moved into the restaurant industry and I managed to land this uh, restaurant manager job when I was just 19, um, which is quite a big job to have at such a young age. And I think uh, that tells you everything you need to know about frankly, about the restaurant. It wasn't a particularly good restaurant. It wasn't particularly well run. I was sort of a only port in the storm solution. uh, And they hired me as a junior manager and then promoted me to the general manager uh, when I sort of said, look, I'm doing everything. Um, And running the restaurant for a year made me realise I really didn't want to run a restaurant. (laughs) It was, uh, you know, very, very challenging. And I uh, managed to sneak into university as the fees were about to go up. So uh, a friend of mine grabbed me and explained to me that like if I went any other time in the future, I'd have to pay astronomically more. And I sort of realized oh God, I've got to go to university before your fees go up. Um, and that kind of derailed the restaurant manager career, which I'm really glad about mm. in hindsight. Because uh, I think I would have done that for many years and been very miserable. Um, but the uh, kind of working through that, I went back to my coffee training routes and I started offering training services uh, to, you know, I went to Manchester and I would go around to coffee shops, bars, restaurants and I, uh, frankly, I'd go in and say, hey, your coffee's rubbish, do you want me to teach you how to make it better? Uh, And they always responded quite badly to that and I uh, (laughs) didn't get any sales from that but I eventually refined the technique a little bit, got a little bit better at kind of explaining it as a solution and people started hiring me to do coffee training and that, uh, was a focus for a little while. But I realized that the people who needed the most training were these coffee shop owners because they would say things to me that just as a former restaurant manager blew my mind. Yeah, they'd be like, what sort of profit margin should I be making on this? And I thought, like, oh, you should probably know that. Uh, or what's VAT? And I was like, you definitely should know that one. And I think, um, <laughs> do I need to form a company? And I like, well, you've had this shop open for several years. You definitely should have formed a company. And I think... Um, lots of weird and wacky questions that I ended up consulting for. So I packaged it all up together. I started selling people consultancy and eventually I became this person that people would go to to help open coffee shops. And if they couldn't pay the fees, I would offer it uh, to be paid in equity in the shops or a profit share that they could later buy back. Um, and one person eventually offered me to go 50-50 with him because um, he was based in another country. And I set up what I would call my kind of first shop. Um, and he bought the shares back from me uh, and uh, after a couple of years, and I just got very lucky with that first shop. I think everyone works hard; everyone puts a lot of time and energy into their business. Uh, but some people, like me, get very lucky with their first true business, and I think it was just a bit of a fluke. Um, and then from there, it's just uh, back into opening those coffee shops.
1: Wow! Um, keep more and more surprises here. Yeah, <laughs> phenomenal. So you got eight shops. What's the what's the vision for Send Coffee or Send?
0: I really want us to be narrow but deep. I think my biggest fear is becoming a very big vehicle and having loads of beneficiaries that we don't really work very well with. At the moment, you know, we can put so much time and energy into each of our beneficiaries. You know, I see them at least once a week myself, and you know, go around each of the shops and spend time with them personally. And I want to keep that. I think I came up with a term recently: is I want us to be a, a human scale organization. I think uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of something called Dunbar's theory about how many people you can know? There's like, the idea kind of goes, there's, you know, up to 150 people max-ish that you can know. And, you know, 15 of those will be like, you're close, and then five of them will be your support group. I really want our company to kind of be themed around something like that. I don't want us to become too big. I want everyone in the company to know one another, even vaguely, and all share that mission statement. And ideally, each have their support network within within the company and the shops they work at. So the key thing to achieving that is that each of the shops that I open, I take a partner on. And sometimes that will just be a manager that I let themselves describe themselves as the owner and they get vesting shares over several years. And sometimes that will be an outright partner, um, usually if they're just at the right level already. Um, And I think that allows me to create local businesses. I'm not robbing opportunities from local people. I'm actually enabling local people to open these coffee shops with me. And Send is kind of the, the hidden thing behind all of that. And we become a sort of umbrella company that supports each of those shops and lets these local business owners build them up.
1: Right. And if you had um, something that you could achieve magically within the borough of Camden, what would, you, what would that be?
0: I think I would just... Uh, I think actually the thing that I would love to achieve the most... Uh, would be that Camden has lots of empty properties and the council has a real commitment to keeping those properties on their own asset books. And that actually robs a lot of opportunities from local organisations. So I think uh, I could name a few examples, but I think it's better to kind of just give the a broad stroke. So if I have a magical one that I could just wave, it would be for the council to recognise that those assets, when they are vacant, devalue the entire community, not just Camden's balance sheet. And I think it would be fantastic to see them have a, uh, a temporary lease or a license system, which would allow them to rent it to local organizations, even if it was just a non-profit or a voluntary sector in Camden, that would allow them to use those spaces productively. Because at the moment, there are dozens of empty spaces that are derelict, that are hubs of, you know, squatters and bad things that are just wasted opportunities to do some good in Camden
1: great well that's a fantastic way to round it off thanks very much harry for joining us here today no thank you it's been an absolute pleasure that's it for camdeners if you'd like more information please see the links below this podcast was recorded at serendipity studios in arlington road camden for the camden clean air initiative